Hello, everybody. It's so good to be back together again. I love, love, love the body of Christ. And when we get together and we sing, as much as I try to replicate that in my office with the CD player or your MP3 or whatever you're listening to, it's just not the same. It's just not the same. And I love worshiping with the body of Christ. I feel like I'm very much toward favoring this side this morning. Can I move a little bit this way over here? All right, that feels more central. Okay, guys, we are starting a new series this morning, which I can't wait for. It's a series around flourishing. If you're on our social media or if you're on our WhatsApp group, you would have got a, like a, maybe a 20-second clip from me this week just speaking about this series and what's upcoming. It's going to be a bunch of different uh, preachers that are going to be speaking about all sorts of very practical areas of our life. So we're going to speak about mental flourishing. We're going to speak about spiritual flourishing. We're going to speak about uh, physical flourishing. We're going to speak about flourishing at work, vocational flourishing. We're going to speak about emotional flourishing. And we're going to go through a bunch of different topics on this idea, the biblical idea of um, flourishing. And if you look at, there should be a slide over there, that one. That's the design for the series. Well done, Charles. It looks stunning. But that's actually the biblical image more than any other of flourishing is this idea of, of a botanical kind of image. It's a plant. It's growing. It's maturing. It's longevity. It's uh, as it was meant to be is the best way to say it. So if you had to ask, what is flourishing? Flourishing is something achieving what it was created to be. So the potential of a seed is that it grows into a tree, a healthy tree, a a long living tree that goes up tall and lives for a long time. That tree, you'd say that seed has flourished. That's the, the word we're using here. And if you think about it biblically, we're going to get straight in today. If you think biblically about flourishing, immediately my mind goes to Psalms like Psalm 1. Blessed is the man. Blessed. This is the, the biblical word for flourishing. This, this man has a, a blessed life, right? And blessed is the man who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way. So he, blessed is the man who doesn't take this path. But actually, he takes another path, if you know Psalm 1. He delights in the law of the Lord, and on on him he, he focuses. That's what he does. And then it says, and he is like a tree planted by rivers. He's like a tree. He's the one who flourishes, this one who, who's fixed on God's ways. And it says, that man yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither and even there we begin to get a little glance or a little glimpse of the biblical idea of flourishing not quite being what you might think in the secular world right when its leaf does not wither immediately that implies you're going to go through seasons where this tree should wither but it doesn't through difficult seasons and it still stands there a tree on the river flourishing whatever they do prospers The Beatitudes give us another little look into this biblical kind of understanding of flourishing and a bit of difficulty mixed in there when they say, blessed blessed are you when you, and then you think, you know, fill in the, the modern Western culture, when you make lots of money. Blessed are you when you find the right spouse. Blessed are you when you dot 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 and those things are God blessings and those things are wonderful things but that's not what the Beatitudes say the Beatitudes say blessed are you when you mourn for you will be comforted and it speaks about other 
I don't want to go into it now because it's not what I want to preach on this morning, but it begins to introduce this idea that how we understand flourishing and how the Bible understands flourishing are very different concepts. And that's what I'm going to spend my time on next week. I'm going to, God willing, do the first three of these um, flourishings. The first two will be kind of more laying the foundation, and then I'll do spiritual flourishing in week three, and then we'll carry on with physical, and Ollie's going to be preaching that, which I'm so excited about. He hasn't preached in our pulpit for ages. He's going to do physical flourishing, and if you've seen the man, you'll know why. He's ripped. So, and you'll also see why I'm not doing it. <laughs> mm. Turn with me to the book of Genesis, chapter 1. If you're brand new today, I'm going to be a little bit presumptuous and I'm going to tell you that I know something about you already. I've never met you, I might not know your name, but every single person sitting here this morning, I know something about you. I know that you are looking for a life that is thriving. I know that you're looking for a life that has meaning, that has significance, where you have genuine relationships with those around you that are deep that are true, that are meaningful, where your identity is secure. No one runs around saying, I want to be insecure. I want to feel nervous in the company of others. No, we all want this flourishing. I think it's a universal truth that I can quite honestly say that we all are in some way or another seeking the flourishing life. And it's like God put this innate desire in us. It's a God thing that we are searching for the good life. We're searching for what we're supposed to be, our fulfilled potential, what it is, what did God make me to be? And here's the, here's the kind of, um, I, the big idea that I'm, I'm wanting to get through today is that deliberately or accidentally, thoughtfully or perhaps completely without thought, depending, you could be anywhere on that scale, but you are choosing paths every single day, every month, every year. You are choosing paths that somewhere in your heart or somewhere in your mind you believe will lead you to whatever your concept of the flourishing life is. You're, you're trying every day to get there. Do you agree with that? Does that make sense? That's why we do what we do. That's why we work long hours. That's why we sit and sort out the fights in our marriage. That's why we try to parent the way we parent. That's why we save. That's what, whatever it may look like. And the crazy thing is that we can all have vastly different ideas of what flourishing looks like. So you think about money, saving or spending. What are you? Are you a saver or are you a spender? Right? Either way, that's governed by what you think the flourishing life is. If you're saving, your thought is the flourishing life is having enough for retirement. I'm going to save it up for then. The flourishing life is being secure and having enough money to not have to worry. The spender goes, oh my goodness, that's not the flourishing life. The flourishing life is spend it all now. Let's have fun. Come on. Save, save, save. That's for later years. And so you begin to see how it plays out in these practical ways. What we believe about flourishing impacts the way we live our lives. If you marry, who you marry, if you have children, if you don't have children, all of these things are informed by what we think life is meant to look like. What path do we want to follow, what you study, how you study, how we exercise, if we exercise, how often we exercise, and on and on we could go. Does that make sense? 
No? That makes sense? Yeah? You with me? All of these and more at a, a deep level are us trying to reach for that elusive flourishing. We feel this disconnect at times, right? It might just be me. I'm pretty certain it's not. But we have this disconnect between what we believe and what we end up doing, right? We find hindrances in the path. Let me give you an example. This is very familiar to us. But we believe, most of us in this room would put down on a piece of paper, I believe that exercising and eating well will lead to a fuller, longer, more flourishing life, healthier life, right? Do you all believe that? All right, so all of you are up at 5 a.m. exercising. None of you eat sugar, right? This is not how we work. What we believe and what we do are often at odds with one another. And these, these are things that we all experience. But it might not even just be disciplines. It might be that you have a health problem. And so it's, not, it's too simplistic to just say, well, this is what I believe that will make me flourish and I can't get there because I don't have discipline. It might be that you have something wrong with your health and you're unable to exercise or you're unable to eat certain foods or whatever it might be. Or it could even be just a hindrance like, hey, I believe the flourishing life is to retire at 50. Well, there's a hindrance in the way. It's called my bank account, right? Or I believe that a flourishing life is traveling the world. I have five children and my bank account, <laughs> right? So there's these disconnects that we see in our lives. So that's, so that's the, that's the kind of one side that I wanted to touch on, but that's actually not what I want to focus on because I don't think that's our primary problem. I don't think our primary problem is that we, we look at it and we go, that's what I believe, and it's a good belief. We just don't have the whatever it is to do it. Right? I think our primary problem is actually that we have these faulty beliefs about what will actually make us flourish. The pathway that you are choosing, or the pathways that you are choosing day after day with this elusive, probably even unthought-through idea of flourishing, most of us have just taken it on as part of our culture, part of the people around us. We look at someone and we go, oh, they look like they're flourishing. I'll try and do what they're doing. That person looks like that, so I'll work like they work. I'll save like they save. I'll do whatever it is that they do to try and flourish, right? But what we believe doesn't actually lead us to the flourishing that we hope for because the path, these pathways are littered with deceit. They're littered with empty promises and false dawns. It's abundantly clear, guys. When, you, when I went back onto social media in lockdown and onto the Instagram, right? The thing that shocked me so much, I was ready for people posting pictures of their food that looks like dog vomit. Why do you post those pictures, people? It might be delicious, but it looks terrible. Your cooking looks terrible. I was ready for that. I was ready for family pictures. What I was not ready for was the kind of psychological, spiritual, like this is how you live your life. This is the best you now. I wasn't ready for the amount of that that's just getting pushed out on social media, like the gurus who are telling you what it is that's actually going to lead you to a flourishing life. And it's full up on there. Even Christian stuff is like swung that way into like the self-help. This is how you're really going to lead the flourishing life, right? You think about marketing. 
This is, this is what we are exploited by, by marketers or advertising. This is the product you need. CJ, if you're really going to be happy, bro, this is the gym thing you need, right? Or if you're going to have a successful life, this is the path you need to take. Does it make sense? Does this resonate? This is, resonates for me. This is what I've seen. And, and above all of that, we have one great enemy, the devil, who the Bible calls the deceiver, the the liar, the, the one who seems to endlessly peddle out fresh ways to confuse God's people about flourishing, right? It's a tricky business. And here's where our Bible story begins in Genesis chapter 1. So hopefully by now you've turned there. If you haven't found it by now, you can stop looking. You're not going to turn to the person next to you or just follow up on the screen with us, all right? It's the very first book in the Bible, though. I don't mean to be patronizing. I'm going to do just three points today, and they all start with a C, so it's very simple. The first one is this, that we were created to flourish. This is where we start, that we were created or designed to flourish. This is what it says in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. Okay, and now we're going to, I'm going to be a little bit teacherish with you. We're going to say this together aloud, okay? Each time that we see this little phrase or a phrase like it, we're going to say it aloud, and we're going to count it in the, in the book of Genesis chapter 1, all right? Are you with me? At the end of verse 4, God saw that the light was, okay, we're going to try that again. That was horrible. And God saw that the light was good. That's number one. All right, then we see God separating the water and making the sky and all of that. And you go down to verse 10, and it says, God called the dry ground land, and he gathered the gathered waters he called seas. And you with me? And God saw that it was good. That's number two. Go down to verse 12. We'll just say the phrase together. And God saw that it was good. That's after he produced the vegetation and the plants and all of that. Then God makes the lights, the moon, the sun, all of those things. And verse 18 says, and God saw that it was good. You're starting to get the idea. That's the fourth time. The fifth time is in verse 21 and 22. God makes the creatures of the sea and every living thing. And then it says, and God saw that it was good. Okay, that's the fifth time and then it says a little thing and God blessed them so that's the first time we see that phrase God blessed them then you go down to verse 25 after God has made the creatures each according to its kind the wild animals etc and it says and God saw that it oh you guys are so clever that's the sixth time that we see it. And then verse 27 is important. We're going to come back to this verse. So I'll read it in full. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. There's a good preach right in there, not for today. Male and female, he created them. And then verse 28, God blessed them. Again, that's the second time. God blessed them. He blesses the animals, he blesses the people. And then the very end, verse 31, God saw all that he had made and it was very good friends what do you take from genesis chapter one good 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 
God blessing them. Just consider that. Just consider the God of all the universe taking the animals. And this is the picture. The Old Testament picture is of a father with his son. This is what the Israelites copied. They copied God's blessing on creation where they would take their oldest son or all of their sons sometimes and their daughters. If you're there, I'm sure some of them blessed their daughters. And they would lay their hands on them and proclaim a father's blessing. That's what was happening in Genesis chapter 1. God was taking his creation that he had made, this wonderful, good creation. He was laying his hands on it in a sense and blessing it. Okay, so very simply, it's not higher grade maths. Did God design us to flourish? Like Nas Boerte says, 140%. I love the commentators, like 100%, but no, no, these guys, they gave 140%. I love that. And not, not just us. It wasn't just humans that God blessed. It wasn't just humans that God called good. God called all of creation good. All of creation was broken in the fall, not just us. Everything. We're going to get there. I'm getting ahead of myself. So if you're not convinced yet that God himself blessed us and that we were supposed to, we were created to flourish. Another angle you can look at is verse 27. So God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God, imago Deo. This is where anything around racism, anything around justice, this is where it comes from. Not because it's the right thing to do. No, because the people that we, that we perpetuate or perpetuate, whatever the word is, injustice against are made in the image of God. That's why it's a problem. That's why I don't tithe to the SPCA, even if you do love dogs. Because God didn't make them in his image. He made us in his image. There's something different about us. And God created them male and female. He created them. So let me ask you a simple question. Does God flourish? Is God thriving? Is God okay? He's wonderful. He's doing great. And what are we? Made in the image of God. So if God is flourishing, then we are little images, we are little mirrors, if you would, reflecting the flourishing of God. We were created to flourish, all of creation. So what happened? Remember a few minutes ago, I said our big problem is not necessarily discipline or other hindrances. Our problem is faulty beliefs about what will actually make us flourish. Okay, that's our problem. Our problem is faulty beliefs. We believe the wrong things about what will make us flourish. And the pathways that we believe will lead us to flourishing is full of deceit, is full of empty promises. We get confused. We get wrongly convinced. Someone convinces us this way or that way and we believe it. We get deceived into picking the wrong path. We back the wrong horse. Q Genesis chapter 2 and 3. Let's go to Genesis 2. Genesis 2. And I'd rather have had another word here, but I wanted to keep it the C's just so it helps. You know, it it makes me feel great as a preacher. And um, hopefully it helps you to remember it. But the first one is created to flourish. The second one is cheated into death. Cheated into death. And this is what it says in chapter 2 and verse 16. Find it with me if you're there. And the Lord commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. Right? Created to flourish. Look at what I've made for you. All of this is yours. You're free. This is where choice comes in, where God gives us choice. Man, 
you're free to eat from all of these trees. If you like avos, eat them. If you like apples, eat them. If you don't like oranges, leave them. You're free. Choose what you want to choose to eat. But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God put this in here so that we're not robotic. That it's not just, well, I have to love God, so I love God. No, we've got to be able to choose. This is where choice comes in. He says, for when you eat this, you will certainly die. So this is how I want you to see this little verse. Created to flourish. We know that God has blessed this man. We know that God has said, it's very good. What you're living in is very good. And then God gives him explicit instructions. Hey, eat whatever you want. Enjoy it. Have fun in this garden. But there's another path you could take. There's another route you could go. And that route is this other tree. Don't eat from that tree. Don't choose that. And if you choose that, you're going to certainly die. Dying is a great word for not flourishing. I looked up antonyms. And these are the ones I got. Shrivel. The opposite of flourishing. Shrivel. Diminish. Wither. Unfruitful. But die just does such a great kind of one word summary. Guys, this is not a story about, if you've read Genesis 1, 2, and 3, and you think it's a story about fruit or about arbitrary consequences or a God who was trying to like trick them, you've read the story wrong. I honestly believe the fruit could have been anything. God was just giving us choice. God was saying, this is what I want you to do. This is the pathway that I want you to follow. Will you trust me and will you follow this pathway? Or there's another pathway that I'm putting in this garden and you could follow that too, but it's going to lead you to die. That's what God was doing with the fruit in Genesis 1 and 2. Let's go to Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent, which is a picture of the devil, was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord had made. He came to the woman and said to her, did God, now you've got to pay attention now, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Immediately, what does the devil do? He misquotes God. God said, you're free. I made you to flourish. Eat all of these trees, just not that one. The devil comes and goes, man, God's a killjoy. He said you mustn't eat from any of the trees. In the whole, I mean, look at the beautiful trees. Eve, to her credit, corrects him. She says, we may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. And then listen to what the devil does. You will not certainly die. God is a liar, is what he says. He contradicts God's path. He says that's not true. This is this, he goes on to explain himself and he says, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God knowing good and evil. Remember, they don't know what evil is. It's just this, he just points them to actually go, he's actually pointing them to mistrusting the intentions of God. He's saying God doesn't actually want you to see 
He wants to be the only one who can actually see what's going on. He's trying to stop you. He's trying to kill your fun. The devil, what, what he's doing in this section, in other words, is, is God is saying, obey me, trust me about the tree and eat from every other tree, live the good life, be fruitful, multiply here. God blessed them. You flourish and your descendants are going to flourish. And God saw all that he made and it was very good. And the devil says, rubbish. God is pulling a fast one on you. This other path, that's the one to true flourishing. That's the one. That's the one that's going to open your eyes. Eve, that's the one that's going to show you how to get to the good life. And verse 6 says, when the woman saw, when she saw that the fruit was good for food and pleasing to the eye, it must have looked great. Definitely was not a kiwi fruit or any of those things. And also, it was desirable for gaining wisdom. So now she's looking at this fruit, and now in her heart, she's going, oh, this is a wisdom fruit, right? She's starting to now think about this fruit. She took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. And then the eyes of both of them were opened. And this is the, this is the crux of the story. Instead of trusting what God said about the road to life, Eve was deceived and Adam was then after her deceived about what she believed to be the better pathway. An alternate pathway. Her right to choose the road that she wanted to walk. So she saw the fruit and she decided this is good fruit. Whereas God had said no, no, no. This is not good fruit. This is fruit that if you eat it you're going to die. Eve decided in her heart, this is good fruit. Eve decided in her heart, this is going to please me. This is the fruit I need. I don't need all these other trees. I need this one. This is the one that's going to please me. Eve decided in her heart that she needed this wisdom. I don't need God's wisdom. I don't need God to tell me what I can and can't eat. I've got my own wisdom. I need this fruit for my wisdom. I need this path for my wisdom. And so they ate it, and don't miss this, in eating that fruit, they declared themselves God. That's the story of Genesis 1, 2, and 3, is that in doing it, they said, I will self-govern. And they took a little throne. We used to have, my, my grand and grandpa used to have this set of, of dining room tables, and the two end chairs, I think it was like 12 or 16 seater, the two end chairs had armrests and they had little wheels little gold wheels on the bottom and grandpa used to sit on one and granny used to sit on the other and we all used to like sit in the middle rows right and it's like one of those chairs that's what I always have in my mind when I think of this we take it and we kind of wheel it into the presence of God we push our little chair there's this glorious throne of God above with elders falling down and crying out holy holy I can't see you like the Old Testament prophets would like I can't see you God I'm going to die and here we are 20 whatever century we're in pushing in I always can never remember the centuries properly we're pushing in our little throne on its little wheels and going thank you God you've got me this far but I'm okay I've got it from here that's what's happening. It's not about fruit and some arbitrary stuff. That's what's happening in Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3. And friends, here's my question. Are we not seeing this everywhere in our world? 
God, we don't want to believe what you say about gender. We'll believe what we want to believe. God, we don't want to believe what you say about marriage. We want to believe what we want to believe. I want to live with my girlfriend. I'm going to live with my girlfriend. And don't you tell me not to. Because I will self-govern. What's the difference if I sleep together there before marriage or after marriage? What's the difference? And this is what we throw up again and again. Or we can take careers. We could take all sorts of things. We could take wealth. We could take anything almost we like. And you see that the devil's craft is that he deceives. He takes what God means for good and he twists it and produces counterfeits. It's like going to a good market in some of these third world countries and you can find everything you need. Every Nike product, every Adidas product you need is there on the street. You can choose it. Fantastic counterfeits. This is the devil's business. He comes and he says again and again, this is what you really need. And our world is swallowing it hook, line, and sinker. Guys, I'm so sad to tell you that it's not just the world. It's the church. The church is buying into ideas of flourishing that are completely false. And I'm even more hot sore to say that if we're honest enough, every single one of us in this room are doing it too. We're buying into false ideas of what it means to flourish in our lives. So, God created us very good, blessed us, created to flourish in the image of God, Imago Deo. The devil came and through our choices, it's not just Adam and Eve, it's us, it's you, it's me. Every single one of us can put our name on that line. We've been cheated to death. And then we see Christ, our true flourishing. And that's where I'm going to end today. I've got so much more to say. We've got lots of weeks to go. So this is where I'm ending today, all right? Christ, our true flourishing. So how does this mess, all this mess, the creation, the fall, how does it even begin to get sorted? Enter Jesus. And this is Jesus' key message. If you go and read the Gospels, Jesus keeps on saying, my new kingdom is here. The kingdom of heaven is here. Come follow me. Turn, repent. That word repent literally means to do this. I'm walking this way and I turn around. I'm sure you've seen this a million times from preachers and it's one of their favorite analogies. And now we're walking this way. That's what turning means, repenting. And that's Jesus' core message. A new kingdom is here. The kingdom of heaven. You've been living in the kingdom of the world. You've been living in the kingdom of law. A new kingdom is here. Repent. Come into this new pathway is what Jesus is saying in the language that I'm using today. And Jesus comes making incredibly bold claims. And the kind of key verse for this whole series is John 10 verse 10 and 11. This is what Jesus says. He's speaking about shepherds and sheep and sheep gates and stuff that is difficult for us to get unless you grew up maybe in the Karoo. But he says the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. That's what we've been speaking about. To deceive, to to trick you, to take you down wrong paths. That's what he wants to do. Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the... The other version says abundantly. The NLT says that they may have a rich and satisfying life. This is what Jesus comes and promises us. And, And Jesus says, well, okay, so then... This sounds fantastic. And all of us are going, okay, so who's allowed? Who can have this? We want this. We want this rich, abundant, satisfying, full life. Who can have it? And we expect, like the rest of the world, that it's the few elite. It's the influencers. It's the one with the, the, who's you know, Bill Gates' son. That's the guys that can really flourish. Well, Jesus turns the tables and he says, hey, you want to know who can qualify? You want to know who can come to me? 
Are you weary? Are you burdened? This is Matthew 11. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Let me ask you, you don't have to answer this out loud. Do you qualify? Are you ever burdened? Seriously, guys, there's people in this room carrying huge stuff in their lives right now. Weary. Weary of soul. Weary of mind. Weary of death in their family. Weary of cancer in their bodies. Weary of their own sin. And Jesus says, you're the guys I'm looking for. You're the ones. I will give you rest. Come, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so Jesus comes making these incredibly bold claims. But the best part about Jesus is that Jesus doesn't just say, Jesus do. Unlike us, Jesus doesn't just say, Jesus do. Jesus and I know that's not correct English. I'm just using it for emphasis. Just had to get that out there. Couldn't, couldn't let it slide for my own pride's sake, you know. Jesus shows us an example of taking a path to death that no one in their right mind would call flourishing. Think about that. No Facebook guru you're ever going to find except the really dodgy ones who want to give you like yellow Kool-Aid to drink. Don't drink it. No one thinks that death is flourishing. No one says, hey, Jesus, you know what's going to make you flourish? 24 hours of torture and being whipped and being mocked and being accused. And I have a fresh, as I've decided to grow a little bit of a beard, I have a fresh appreciation for that text that speaks about how they took chunks of his beard and ripped them out Jesus wasn't running around posting hashtag blessed selling his copy of your best life now it's not what Jesus was doing he was saying father this doesn't make sense this doesn't make sense this doesn't look or feel or smell like the good life. This doesn't look like flourishing, but not my will, Father, yours. Not my path, not my idea of flourishing, not what I want or what I desire for my own life, but your will be done. And in that moment, Jesus goes from, he's a philosopher, he's a teacher, he's a great king who comes bearing this incredible statements about himself come and I will give you life now Jesus is doing now he's setting an example for us to go when you don't understand when it looks like God is leading you to a place that doesn't look like flourishing how are you going to respond and Jesus says I'm on your path God I trust you God father you take the wheel now let me ask you another really simple question here as we consider Jesus as we think about the life of Jesus and how he taught us to flourish let me ask you did Jesus flourish it's a trick question Bernie you're a clever guy did Jesus flourish 
Yes, but no, but yes. This is where the Afrikaans expression, you are near, comes in so beautifully for us. Yes, no. Let me ask you another question. Was Jesus' life significant and meaningful? Did Jesus fulfill the potential of his life? Did Jesus flourish? Yes, he did. In the most spectacular, amazing way, we see the flourishing of Jesus. And yet we look at the path that he had to go, that he had to walk on, and we go, non comprehendo. I don't get it. How did that lead to that? Guys, and when you think back to Genesis, it's the perfect reversal. It's the absolute perfect reversal. Adam and Eve go, we will self-govern. We will not trust you, God. We will not take what you say is pleasing and hold it up as pleasing. We will go on the other path. We will eat the fruit from the other path. And what's the result? Death for all mankind. It's, the Bible is so perfectly written. It's so beautiful. Because then you see Jesus, and what happens with Jesus? Jesus has to choose a tree. There's a tree in the story of Jesus and the cross. And Jesus has to choose whether he's going to trust the Father or not. And Jesus, unlike Adam and Eve, and unlike everyone since Adam and Eve, Jesus was able to say, I don't choose the wrong thing. I choose the right way, despite incredible suffering for myself. And it doesn't look like the good life. And in that, there's this absolutely perfect mirror image reversal of the fall. Adam and Eve inherit death. Jesus dies and inherits life. That we too may live. Do you see it? Jesus says, you govern my life. You decide. Life flows out for all. So in summary, I just wrote this little four lines. I created it very good. If this was God speaking, I created it very good. You took another path. I have made new paths. Will you, one hope, will you walk in them? Will you trust the Father and walk in the paths that he has held up for us? That's what this whole series is going to be about. Guys, we are fighting as preachers, not to bring you some self-help stuff. Some of it can help you. I'm not against it. Some of, us, some of it can take you a little way. But if the gospel does not change us, if the spirit does not empower us, if we do not see the example of Jesus and understand to the core of our being that obedience to God does not mean agreement, that obedience does not mean that we have to see what he wants us to do and like it, and say, I'm buying into that story that we can actually look what God wants us to do in the face and say, I don't like it. It feels like it's going to hurt God. It feels like it's going to be a sad story. And still we say, but God, I trust you. Then we're learning true flourishing. Then we understand what it means to flourish. I want to end there. Amen. We've got lots of weeks to come and we're going to be talking about this as we go. Lord, this is a wonderful word to see in your scripture, to see how you 
teach us these things and show us these things, Lord. But in our hearts, although in a moment like this, some of us are going, yes, I want to do that. When the tacky hits the tar, this is a hard word. It's hard to live like this. It's, it's hard to live in the experience of this. But Father, when we said yes to you, Jesus, we said you be Lord. You be King. You tell me how high to jump and I will jump. That's what true Christianity is. That's what submission is. And thank you, thank you from the bottom of my heart that that's not all it is. Thank you that it just doesn't lead us into this groveling kind of place, but actually that in submitting our will to your will, in taking on the path that you want for us rather than the path we want, you have designed it that actually because you're such a wonderful father that it's actually the best thing we could ever imagine with our lives. That there's not one of us who will lie on our deathbed one day if we get the privilege to have that moment and to think back and go, I wish I hadn't done what God had called me to do do all these things are designed because you made us and you know how we work and you want us to flourish in every sense of that word growing maturing producing fruit longevity fulfilling the potential that you put in our seed Can I ask you this week, can I give you some homework? Won't you write down, like actually get a journal or a piece of paper or whatever it is, however you journal, and write down what it is that you think will make you flourish. Just take time to actually pause and think about, Paul, what is it that you're pursuing that you think is going to lead to the good life? I don't think we even pause very often to just ask that question before rushing headlong on. I get it. We have five kids. They're little. I work hard. There's lots of stuff to do in the house. There's the lawn to mow. Thank the Lord for Uncle Juta who comes and does that for me. There's all these things that are going on in our lives. I know it just feels sometimes like it's just chaotic and there's studies and there's all sorts of things. Guys, I'm calling us in this series to pause and to ask you the question, what is it that is the good life? What are you holding up? And write it down. And then that's going to help you as we go through the series to just compare it to what God's Word says and just to go. It's going to be a little scary, right? And just to say, does this line up with God's Word? Does this line up with God's Word? Is what God says flourishing is what my piece of paper looks like. Can we do that? We're going to consider Jesus as we take communion. Donnie and the band are going to come and lead us in a, in a final song. Christ is enough is the song we're going to sing. Christ is enough for me. I encourage you just as you take communion to think about Jesus. Think about the example that he's set for us. Take it this morning with a group of friends or family, whoever you're with. And let's take communion together and think on the body of Jesus.